This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it. Oh, he's the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here in studio in Louisville, Texas. Managing editor of Texas basketball, assistant managing editor of Texas football. Across from me is our college football insider, Mike Craven. I was trying to think of something that I couldn't really do. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how you doing? That's, that's all I am. That's, yeah. that's all we got. I was uh, trying to think of something clever, but yeah, like, yeah you're just, it's Mike Craven. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I'm a simple man. <laughs> Over there, turning the dials, making sure you can see both of us clearly. And hear both of us clearly, hopefully, because uh, I can't hear what I'm saying. So I don't know. I could be muted. Because you don't wear headphones. Because I also don't wear headphones unless I have to. So that's uh, Tell them to wear headphones. everyone's favorite Mal pal, Mallory Hartley. No, You're not going to get me to get a, put a headphone off. I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So if there's any audio issues, blame her because uh, she's in charge of that. So. Or you because you don't wear headphones. No. Or Mike Craven because he doesn't <laughs> wear headphones either. <laughs> Neither of them do. It drives me nuts. <laughs> we got God. a great show lined up for you guys yeah. today. We got some headlines, but also... I'd say we got one of our more prominent guests on. Uh, Mike Craven sat down and talked with Joel Anderson of Slate. Uh, of, of course, more, if you remember Joel Anderson, played football, TCU as well. Um, still follows with the Horned Frogs. Still keeps up with a bunch of uh, college football all, all over the state. He does a lot of sports for Slate. Um, but more prominently, you probably know him from when he hosted Slow Burn, the podcast, uh, over Tupac and Biggie, which is where I knew him before. I knew about him before that, but that's kind of really what I'd say a lot of people, uh, recently at least, uh, uh, kind of attach him to now. Uh, it was a great season of Slow Burn. If you haven't listened to that, I'll plug that. Go ahead. It was one of the fav- one of my favorite podcasts that season he did, and he did a really good job of it. So we'll be talking to him in the half of the show, and we'll have a little... We don't have another graphic. We don't. We, we do have another Texas Twelve graphic, but eh, we're gonna. You do guys didn't different. complain. You guys didn't complain about There's it, so much. we're not gonna. We're not gonna <laughs> tell you. Not we're not gonna to explain in depth here. Right? Yeah. If you want to go complain, it's on the Twitter account. It's over secondaries and all that. Yeah, sure. You want to go? We'll talk about it next time, maybe. But we're gonna do a little bit of a, a prediction challenge. Yeah. We're gonna throw kind of our our hats in the ring of. Who will finish the year with the most passing, rushing, and receiving yards? Players this upcoming year. And we're all picking different players, right? So if somebody picks somebody that's kind of a dark horse or whatever, that's kind of the point of the discussion is to make something different, right? It'd be weird if we all picked Tanner Mordecai or something, right? Which yeah. would be the easy pick. So. And we, uh, I created graphics too, so we'll throw those up on our Twitter page at DCTFCFB, and we'll throw a poll up there too. So if you guys want to go and vote who's got the best answers feel free to do that as well exactly because it's time to talk real football yes i mean as 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 we're sitting here right now we are 10 days nine days away Mm -hmm. from utep north texas real and so it's nitty-gritty time it's wild it's It's wild you know all summer we're like oh god like you'll be like oh we're only three weeks away you know it seems stressful but like after trying to come up with like two months of stuff about like talking about football instead of just talking football yep. right so we're like we're talking about speculations we're talking about practice right i always hated covering fall camp just because it was like 
well, the second string looked good. Right. You know, this guy caught a caught a ball. It's great. Yeah. Coach said this thing. Coach Co- said the thing yeah. that he probably said last year at right. the same time. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> guys are competing. We're all guys, locked in. Guys We're are locked competing. in this season. Mm-hmm. Your quarterbacks look the best that he ever looked. Culture's the better. We're buying Culture's in. better. Your buying depth into the is program. Better. Your size is better yeah. this year. Strength and conditioning program went as well as it's ever gone. The guys are hanging out more. Uh, they're right. you know they, they love each other. Team chemistry is just right. great. All of it. Every, <laughs> every message board has their fan base convinced that like last year was the anomaly. Right. You, I remember when we told y'all y'all were winning ten games last year at this time, but that was wrong. I'm having PTSD. now now they're gonna win ten games this year. <laughs> they're gonna win ten I'm games because PTSD. our sources are better this year oh. than they were last year. Because it's amazing that uh, inside sources of yeah. the team you're covering don't tell you the whole truth. Right. It's amazing right. how that happens. Yeah, I am having PTSD of when I was having to cover a program. So. Yeah, next week we'll actually be talking about games and making our own inferences. Crazy. I actually can't wait. So, before we get to that, there are some headlines to take care of. The biggest one, probably, a people. Hey, it dropped, right? No more coaches pools, media. Now we can make fun of ourselves. Right? <laughs> now we get to make fun of our colleagues, which is, I'm always okay with yeah, that, too. I think we take even ourselves better. way too seriously. So, let's rip some media people. Um, I don't know. The big headline, quote-unquote headline, I don't know, Texas unranked, I don't think that's that big of a headline, but after last week, people thought it probably would be – it, people think this is a headline because they were ranked last week in the co- in the uh, coaches poll. That's uh and received a one first place they vote. Did. Yes, yeah. they did get yeah. one first place vote. I wonder if that that's too, ever so. happened. Like a team who receives a first place Just vote isn't ranked in the, isn't ranked ranked in the, in the other poll. poll. You that's know, a good like point. it's uh it's it's still whoever that coach is needs to come. I like, needs we really to come need out. that. I was about to say it was like the. I hope it's Lane Kiffin. It was like the uh, when LeBron. <laughs> it was mi- Lane Kiffin. He likes <laughs> to stir up drama. <laughs> it was like when LeBron missed out on MVP unanimous MVP by one vote because right. somebody gave it to like Carmelo or right. something like that. So like I want to know. <laughs> that. It's like Jimbo. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I want I, probably. Um, <laughs> Texas would have, if they would extend the rankings to receiving votes, they'd technically be 27th, right? If 20, uh, Tennessee, just a, a behind Tennessee, who was, uh, who received 180 votes. Anyway, the Texas teams that are ranked: sixth, Texas A&M; tenth, Baylor; and where's the other one? I'm looking at 24th. Houston, yeah, 24. Houston at 24. Mm-hmm. So, Mike Craven. Anything surprising? Is A&M a little too high? I see yeah. some people thinking six was a little too high. Baylor ten is that right? You know what? Are, what are your thoughts? I liked the Baylor slotting. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's where we have them in the mm-hmm. magazine around ten, eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. It's been a while since I I put that in, but I, I think that's fair for Baylor. You know, technically they're adjusting to a new quarterback. Blake Shapin played enough last year to really feels like a returner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they lost their running backs, their wide receivers, some really good players on defense. So, you know, right at right at the top ten, hovering outside the top ten, I think is fair for Baylor. Yeah. Texas A&M at six screams to me that we just have no idea who four through fifteen is. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. You could jumble up four through fifteen, put them in a pot, mix it up pull out balls like a lottery and you're probably not all that wrong you know like we have no idea once you get past georgia ohio state alabama you know who really knows i find it hard to rank a team in the top 10 that's coming off four conference losses in a season that they beat alabama in an off season where a quarterback has not emerged and we're assuming that haynes king who's played two football games or one and a half football games and Max Johnson, who was okay at LSU, mm-hmm. you know, not not a superstar or anything like that, right. is going to be the guy. I, that's hard. That's mm-hmm. a hard mm-hmm. place for me to put them. I think in the magazine we have them at like 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range. I think that's fair. Now, 
at the end of the year, they figure out the quarterback position. Texas A&M is a top six team in the country. I'm not surprised at sure. all. Just going into the year with all of those question marks, this feels like a projection more than a reality. Yeah. I think what this says to me is just looking at the whole poll in general, I still think we're very much in the era of, yeah, four teams are going to win the title. You know, like you look at Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and if maybe you want to throw – you know, we're expecting Clemson to bounce back, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I do think it looks like DJ Uagale is probably going to start the year. I think we may – if obviously if his form continues from last year, we'll see Cade Klubnik yeah. pretty quickly. Um, but I think that even when you consider A&M and Baylor and, you know, Oklahoma at nine, if you want to throw in a regional rival – I think very much this is still like, yeah, we know the four, right? Yeah. After Outside of that, six through ten, you can kind of mix them up, right? It Obviously. Matter. Yeah, so so I don't know. I Maybe Notre Dame sneaks in maybe there Notre Dame or something sneaks like in, that. But, but like, I feel like that's a lot of that's like hype from Freeman and recruiting do, doing really well. Because, like, yeah, a lot of these are like. We I, hate Brian Kelly, so was, he's gone. So right, it's I was like, about yeah. to say, like, like right. based on last year, like you mentioned, what reason is there to put. Right now, at least what we know about A and M, what's what's reason is there to put them there? But also, what reason is there to put Notre Dame above A and M? Sure, know, based right. off what we know about the teams right now, I don't exactly. know. I probably feel more confident, and you know, I'm biased. I'm a Notre Dame. I grew up a Notre Dame fan, so like the schedule's easier. Sure, so that's like fair. that, that's mm-hmm. where I'd put too. Notre Dame in there. Like yeah. I, until A and M proves that it can handle the week in week out grime sure. grind of the SEC, mm-hmm. I have a hard time imagining that they can win all those games. You know, like they've proven they'll lose to Ole Miss, they'll mm-hmm. lose to Mississippi State, they'll lose to LSU, even when they're better than those teams. Now right. they can also beat Alabama, mm-hmm. right? So like they're plenty talented enough. But that week in, week out, I just think they're a year or two away in the trenches still sure. from handling that. Like, I know that defensive line class that they're brought in is studs. Like, yeah. Walter, Walter Nolan, those guys, awesome. They're still 18 yes. years old, and that that's a beating week in, week out. And so, until they prove that they can do that, until the quarterback situation is, is fixed, it's hard for me to consider them a top-10 team. But – I realize that there's not this great case for 10 other teams. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, who do you replace them with? Well, I don't, you know, and so uh, I think Houston's too low. That that was was my, that's that's my big takeaway. Are people being too cautious based off what we know, saw last year, and what we expect from them this year, what they return? Like, Houston, I get it, Cincinnati won the conference, right? But Cincinnati lost so So much. Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner, gone, right? What justification? Yeah. Outside of last year, in terms of what they bring back, is Cincinnati better than Houston right now? Yeah, I I think once we get past the Power Five, these voters don't know a ton. Fair. Yeah. You know, like, I I just don't think national media, and if you look at who votes for the AP, none of those teams are covering G5. None of those guys are covering G5 programs. Those are all major, you know, national writers or, you know, on on beats of Power Five teams. Like, there's not a lot of people who are really watching Houston on a weekly basis or SMU on a weekly basis or even Cincinnati on a weekly basis. But for me, on paper, Houston's the best G5 in the country there's not 23 power five schools better than them that's just sure. that's just my opinion yep. yep all right so that was the ap poll again that'll be a debating topic as the season rolls on uh geez let's roll down to austin because we cannot apparently stop having news down there this one's a little more unfortunate uh two key guys out for the year for texas junior angelau and isaiah nayer two presumed presumed starters um heading into the year of course junior angelau on the offensive line Isaiah Nair probably looking to be that number two next to Xavier Worthy from Wyoming. Out for the year after their football scrimmage or during the football scrimmage they were hurt in. And when you throw in the fact that um, 
I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Ajay Hall has been recently suspended, so he's been missing yeah. camp, right? Obviously, I think he'll. It looks like it was for a misdemeanor, right? It looks it was a team culture thing, so like you assume he'll be back in eventually. <laughs> yeah. but they, those uh, those those parking police in in Austin are serious, man. <laughs> like, they've been serious for twenty something years. I bet if we ask my dad and my grandfather, they've been serious for 50, 60 years. Like so. like okay, so if you if you didn't if we all haven't taken a boot off of a car was that was about, placed on it, I was about it, to say. So if I don't know what you were doing in college. So if you haven't figured out, Ajay Hall was charged with a Class B misdemeanor. Uh, let me see. Uh, criminal mischief equal to or greater than $100, but less than $750, whatever these technicalities. Uh, his arrest was the result of illegally removing a parking boot from his Jeez. vehicle. <laughs> I'm sorry. Come on. Really? Spencer, Spencer I mean, Hall on Twitter was like, that's how I learned how to weld. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fantastic <laughs> If you have that. not had a spat with parking services at university, you didn't go to college. You didn't go to college. You didn't go to college. It's part Straight of up. the experience. Now, to be fair to Steve Sharkeesian, he says, was like, this is like on top of other things sure. that have been so like it's Hall's not, had a history dating back to Alabama right like, so like that's, that was this, one it, of the concerns he didn't yes but he didn't get suspended for removing a parking right. boot but it's a lot right. more funny to say it's just did. funny that like in the NIL era you're running backs driving a Ferrari and you're still <laughs> dealing with parking boots and stuff like that like come on what are we doing here right uh, but these injuries are important. Yes, yes. Like, yes. I, I think Nayer's, Nayer's injury especially is important because all of a sudden now every wide receiver gets moved up a spot. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, Jordan, Whitt Jordan Whittington as your number three slot receiver sounds tremendous. Mm-hmm. Now, now, he's kind of your number two guy say, again. Back to last year. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it, he, he hasn't proven the ability to stay healthy. So how do you, like, count on that, right? Is this just going to be Xavier Worthy? And everyone else again, because that's what it ended up being the second half of the season once Whittington got hurt. That passing offense looked loaded with Hall and Nayer, Whittington, Worthy. Their tight ends are getting better with Jatavion Sanders and Jaleel Billingsley coming in from Alabama as well. So Quinn Ewers at quarterback, that's all starting to look like this big-time passing offense. Yep. It's amazing how just missing that one guy can throw that all off because now you can really double-team Worthy. Can Whittington stay healthy? Who emerges as that third, fourth, fifth guy? If Hall doesn't come back, can you count on him? Obviously, mm -hmm. there's multiple situations going on behind the scenes there. And so all of a sudden now you look at that, you know, like you just said, like you look at that receiver room and it's like, well, this looks like a lot like 2021-ish uh, to me, and they needed to move move on from that. Angulau is a big loss, right? I mean, sure. he's a second-team All-State you know, guy in our magazine, probably their most consistent offensive lineman. Talent-wise, I think they have the bodies to replace him mm -hmm. up there, but they're young, and they're going to mm -hmm. have to grow up really fast, and that Alabama game's looking scarier and scarier. I was about to say, that's that's the, that's going to be the where they get punched in the mouth, right? That was always going to be the game for them, but now it's looking like, okay, now we're starting to sweat a little bit more and more. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I – when the Nair news dropped, I completely forgot about the Ajay suspension. And again, I don't think he's he's he'll be back, you know, probably by week two or whatever. Uh, Sark spoke on it, I believe, uh, after practice on the fifteenth Monday, and he's mentioned how he's, he, their plan is to bring him back eventually. Right, their plan mm -hmm. is to work with him to make sure that he has all the things in place to be able to bring him back. But he's still missing camp, right? right? And so, like, you're gonna have he's probably gonna start at number four, three in the depth chart. And like you mentioned, Jordan Whittington's all of a sudden your number two. And if and if he's already missing time in camp, what leads us to believe he's not going to miss more time later? Sure. Yeah. You know, like, is, you is know, something like we have to worry about again. Right. Like if it's already a multi-issue situation where you're missing camp and all this kind of stuff, yeah. even if you do come back week three, how am I supposed to assume you're going to be there week eight? Sure. Something else mm -hmm. going to pop up based on history. Right. And yep. so, yeah, Texas has uh, Texas has issues going into the season. We knew that. And, and these two injuries just really kind of elevate those, amplify those a little bit more. Yeah.
Uh, one last piece of injury news that is also unfortunate. UTEP, unfortunately, I'm also supporting UTEP uh, <laughs> polo right now. Um, did not plan that. Breon Hayward, uh, presumed starting linebacker for UTEP, out uh, or sitting out for eligibility uh, concerns. They're trying to get, so Craven, you said they're trying to get him extra yeah, eligibility. So they think he gets an extra year. You know okay. that 2020 redshirt stuff, medical yeah. stuff. They're trying to get him an extra year. They were hoping that it would be resolved by now. At this point, it, it isn't resolved, so he's not practicing with the team. He's still at UTEP. He's still you know part of the the team, but he's not going to practice with them. Right. Basically, at this point, Demel's just been like, I'm not going to talk about it until sure. it gets cleared up. So sure. we're kind of in the dark there. It's a big loss for UTEP, though. Like, you know, we joked a couple weeks ago when we did that. Leading tackler last year? Yeah, he was leading tackle. He had, like, the second most tackles in the state behind KD Davis. And so, like, you know, he's a legit uh, linebacker. And that that front four is so good Mm -hmm. that those linebackers just run free. And with him and Tyrese Knight, uh, that was a great combo at linebacker. Made them one of the better front sevens, I think, in Conference USA. Now that's a big hole behind that defensive line. Who matches that production? Who comes up with that production? North Texas is a running football team. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like This is not the Mason Fine North Texas team anymore. This is a pound-you-in-the-face, run-the-football program now. Mm-hmm. Not having your star middle linebacker has to play a part. Yeah, so... UTEP's uh, vaunted front seven, which is still the best unit of their team, it's going to be missing a pretty, pretty key piece heading into week zero. So, mention we have an interview with Joel Anderson, but before we get to that, if you're watching us right now, you obviously know we're streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, all that stuff. Um, if you followed us before, you know we're available on Spotify, Apple. When the season starts, we'll be doing two episodes a week. This one, Tuesday at, or sorry, Wednesday at 2. There we go. Previews will be streamed live, video, all that stuff. But then also we'll be adding an audio-only Sunday recap. Hopefully we try to get those out noonish, round one, noon, whatever. Depends on schedule. Craven has to. He's usually at, on the road, so he usually has to depend on when he can record things like that. We'll have two episodes per week: recap and a preview show. We're still trying to figure out how we want to structure those exactly. If you remember last year's recap episodes, probably will stay the same. Run through all the results, run th- things like that. Who knows? Now that we have video, we might do Wednesdays a little bit differently during the season. I don't know. We're still figuring out. But as you know, there are many different ways you can watch us. Please support, subscribe, rate, all that stuff. And also subscribe, textfootball.com slash subscribe because everybody that was complaining about magazines, all that stuff, by the way, they're on stores. They're on store shelves right now. So, But if you were the one, one of the ones complaining, subscribe so it doesn't happen next year. We got you guys. Okay, Mallory, uh, Mike Craven sat with Joel Anderson earlier today to talk some ball. And if you are a fan of Joel Anderson, like I mentioned, you can read him at Slate.com. So we're going to roll that interview right now. So here with Slate.com's Joel Anderson, also former TCU running back Joel Anderson. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. How are you doing? It's good to catch up. I'll do anything Texas football, man. I'm uh, I'm doing good, getting a little bit more sleep than you as a as a new father. How's that going? You know, uh, just coming off of a rough night, but you know what? We can build on this. You know, every day is opportunity for improvement. You know, <laughs> and so I talk, I tell my son, I was like, hey man, you know, we didn't have it last night, but you know, maybe tomorrow it'll get better. This gives us something to to game plan for and uh, and build around. You know, <laughs> a little gentler approach than Gary Patterson, I'd assume. Yeah. Man, I mean, Gary might have kicked him out of the room last night, man. 
Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like to think of myself as a lot more benevolent uh, leader uh, than, than Gary was. But, I mean, Gary is a lot more successful with, uh, with he, doing what he's done than I have so far. So who am I to criticize, right? You know, speaking of uh, uh, TCU, I wanted to ask you, you know, coming from Missouri City, you know, what was it about TCU? Why did you pick TCU? And kind of if you were a recruit in today's climate, what do you think would be different about your recruitment? Well, I mean, the important thing to remember about the mid-90s, because you were alive then, Mike, I assume, yep. uh, is, that, <laughs> is that things were just so different. I don't – there wasn't – I didn't actually know a hell of a lot about TCU um, before they started sending me letters or whatever. So I was kind of a delusional recruit at the time that I kept thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get, you know, some of these bigger schools to come in. And then I thought, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to get, you know, maybe Northwestern or UCLA. And, it, like, I, I got injured. Uh, my senior year so it didn't quite get what I thought I was going to get so actually what it would happen is that I sort of humbled myself and I was like well let's look at some of the schools that are within driving distance schools I'm familiar with um, and some of the programs that you know I've kind of grown up with and TCU really jumped up the list man I mean so there was one thing on on field that the year before they had an all-american running back a guy named Andre Davis and he was gone and so they just they I didn't know anybody on the running back depth chart at that point. And then strangely enough, it I, I was kind of a nerd in that I actually cared whether or not TCU had a, an accredited journalism school. <laughs> and it actually, it was, and it was one of the few in our region. I always knew that I wanted to, I always say, like, I always knew I either wanted to play in the Super Bowl or cover the Super Bowl. And so I knew that I wanted to go into sports writing if football didn't work out. And so between that and it was only a four hour drive right up, uh, I-45, um, the, I mean, that was that pretty much made it a, 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 a easy call. I think my other options were like, you know, what was now known, what's now known as Texas State, uh, Sam Houston State, and some of the other ones. So TCU was actually one of the, the, the bigger offers I had at the time. You know, when you look back over the, the 20 years of Gary Patterson's tenure, you know, at TCU, can you even put into context just what he, you know, he meant for the program? I know it didn't end the way – that maybe he wanted to, but just where that program was when he took over to where it is now is pretty amazing. I mean, you really can't, actually. It's, it's really difficult to put into words what Gary Patterson meant for TCU football. And, I mean, I, I, the one thing that I always like to say is that, you know, Gary Patterson didn't come in as the head coach at TCU. He was a defensive coordinator under uh, uh, Dennis Francione, and I thought the turnaround really started under Coach Francione. Um, just, I mean, just the emphasis on – weightlifting and it sounds crazy to hear that in 2022 and be like you know weightlifting was a real key but like i don't know what i don't know how to articulate how different our workout and weight programs were different just from that year uh, pat sullivan left to the year dennis francione came and that really transformed things and then what gary patterson did to build on the program after dennis francione um it's i don't want to say it's unprecedented because i'm sure there is some precedent for it somewhere but I think that what Gary Patterson did at TCU is one of the miracles of modern day college football. Like maybe not quite on the level of Bill Snyder in Kansas State, but something along those lines. And that it gave a whole bunch of other schools that have no business trying to be an FBS, competing in FBS, because people looked at what Gary Patterson did at TCU and they said, oh, all I got to do is get the, the right guy, build the right system around it, and we can have a contender year after year and it's just not that simple like it's i mean man it, it makes sense that gary patterson has a statue outside of a school right now because prior to that i mean my first year at tcu 
was in the 16 team Western Athletic Conference, man. Like we'd been left out of the Big 12 and, you know, really were diminished to the minor leagues. And he pulled them up out of that. Like everything that TCU football is today, it's not all because of Gary Patterson, but so much of it is because of Gary Patterson that I don't, I mean, I know things didn't end well, but you just can't get past with that guy. He, I mean, he's, I don't know if there's a number one on a Mount Rushmore, but that dude is it if, if, um, if, if, if such a thing exists. You know, and then that tenure leaves and, and or tenure ends, and they got to turn the page. You know, they hire mm. Sonny Dykes. You know, what were mm. what were your initial reactions to mm. Sonny Dykes hiring? Hiring, and are you mm. are you optimistic or pessimistic mm. about the near future? I know your answer. That's why I'm chuckling. As yeah, I'm right. I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you've seen me, man. It's like, look, I'm not optimistic. I'm realistic. And CCU has already experienced a once in a lifetime run in the program's history. That's probably not going to happen again especially in this new college football world, no matter who is the coach. So no matter, you know, no matter who is at the top, I think the TCU is going to be in for a reality check. There's going to be some struggling. Um, and okay. So much of the Sonny Dykes choice was built around. We're going to make TCU the DFW home team instead of SMU. SMU was uh, the Dallas home team, but now it's TCU. Right. And, we're going to bring in Reginald Samples and he's going to revamp our recruiting efforts and we're going to get, you know, guys that we've not had access to or we've got this recruiting plan. And I mean, Reginald Samples didn't even make it to the summer, man. He's a running backs coach for the LA Rams now. So um, I, I assume, I know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping coach Dykes has a plan B and that the, his game plan and blueprint is uh, durable um, in spite of that. But that really, makes me skeptical. And I mean, the only other thing that I would have to say is that like, look, Sonny Dykes has had some not bad jobs. I mean, he was at LA tech. I mean, he was Louisiana tech. He was at Cal. Uh, obviously he was at SMU. None of those schools are powers, but they all have ways to win. They all have like some, something that could, that have made them competitive at some point in my life. Um, Sonny Dykes has never finished better than third. He's only finished better than third in his conference once in 12 years. And I mean, if you're telling me that that's the best that TCU can do, well, all right. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Good luck. But, um, you know, I have to admit, I wanted Dion, man. I really thought that that was the move to, to go to if we could have got him. Um, but, you know, I'll I'll just hold out hope. I'm not, like I said, I'm not I'm not optimistic. I'm not pessimistic. I'm just realistic. Um, and it's just going to be different now. You know, the NIL space is becoming such a big topic in college football, such a dominating kind of topic in college football. You know, with TCU being a pretty small private school, like, mm. you know, there's just not a whole lot of alumni out there. Like, I think Texas Tech has, you know, 40,000 current students, right? Yeah. You know, and so right. how, how does TCU and Fort Worth kind of compete in that space against, you know, some of these other programs with such bigger alumni bases to pull from? Yeah, you know, it's crazy because I even I remember when I went there, you know, the 90s, like TCU was one of, is one of the smaller schools in FBS in terms of enrollment and alumni, right? Um, that's why stadium is 47,000 because there's only so many people we can put in that stadium. So I don't know, Mike. I, I, you know, we're not going to be Notre Dame or Stanford because those programs are kind of in their own class. We're not going to be Vanderbilt because who the hell wants to be Vanderbilt? <laughs> we're obviously not Duke. You know what I mean? And like maybe the comparable programs for TCU, in a manner of speaking, like Boston College, Northwestern, maybe Wake Forest, like schools that are sort of punching out of their weight class or Miami. And I don't I, I mean, OK, it's it's far fetched that TCU could be Miami because of the absence of tradition and mystique. 
But Miami is a small private school in a borough recruiting ground. And for years, they struggled with resources and facilities and things like that. Like, I mean, they fell behind, and that's why they're probably third in the pecking order of schools in Florida right now. Or actually, that's probably Florida State. But you get what I'm saying. So I think the thing is that TCU just had to play up its strengths. I mean, it does not have a huge alumni base, but it is a wealthy private school. Um, continue to tap into those folks. I mean, I assume all money has something to do with it. Maybe tech now. I don't know. Um, and just, yeah, lean into your recruiting ground. I mean, to an extent, Sonny Dykes is right. TCU is the DFW homeschool in, that, in a manner of speaking for, for, for major colleges. So you have to sort of lean into those advantages uh, and, and, and take advantage of the wealth of that area. And that's easier said than done. Like, I'm just saying it here. But, like, if TCU was going to be Notre Dame or Stanford, presumably it would have happened already. Like, we would be a national brand. So I know that there's a lot of work to be done in that uh, in, in that way, but I think that's what's going to have to happen. And even then, the odds are stacked against you, man. I mean, you're not going to out-recruit Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M, blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, you just kind of have to work with what you got and, and hope it's enough. Yeah, you're out in California. You know, obviously UCLA, USC, uh, you know, moved to the Big Ten, kind of changed everything from a conference realignment standpoint. Do you think the new Big 12, the new look Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma can do anything to kind of stay nationally relevant or are they going to have to just settle for trying to be like the best of the rest? Man, if we were talking about basketball, I'd be like, hell yeah. Yeah, uh, basketball is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, the basketball would be, be maybe the best basketball conference in the country, right? Um, but in terms of football, I mean, it's going to be tough if the current roster of schools remains the same. I mean, there's just not enough households or national brands to keep up with the SEC or Big Ten or maybe even the ACC. I mean, I don't know. Like, what, what's the premier school left in the in the league now? Is it Baylor? I mean, is it Oklahoma State? Is it TCU? I I, I don't know. Um, Might end up being Cincinnati. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Cincinnati, right? Yeah, maybe University of Houston. Who's to say? Um, so I don't, I think it would be really difficult if it stays as is, if they could somehow manage to finagle a merger with the PAC 12, maybe, um, you know, get in with those or, or get in those Arizona schools, uh, lure them back and maybe Colorado or whoever, but it, as it is right now, in terms of football, I mean, perception drives so much of this anyway. And the perception is that the big 12 is down bad without Texas and Oklahoma. So that's how I mean, yeah, man, we got we got to get a big dog one way or another. We got to link up with some other big dogs, but we're just not doing enough in our own yard. You know, speaking of Houston, you know, you're from you're from Missouri City. I know when we were kids, you know, Houston kind of got left out with the, when the Southwest Conference kind of you know, dissolved, and they've been in you know what they would call football purgatory for a long time. Like how how much of a sleeping giant do you think that program is? Like how much does that program matter in that city as somebody who kind of grew up there? Man, you know, so I'm not going to pretend that it's, you know, the te University of Texas or Texas A&M in Houston, but U of H does have a diehard fan base. It's got a lot of resources. Um, people, I think people in Houston have largely good feelings about the campus and the, the brand and all that other stuff. So, I mean, I think it has tremendous potential. I mean, I hate to bring up Miami as a, as a standard again, but again, you have kind of, um, you know, a school and a huge re recruiting ground. I mean, there's a lot of you know a lot of locals there that you can you, you can work with um they've got a lot of resources i mean you know and and, and a couple of boosters uh tillman Fertitta being one of them 
that is interested in seeing the program succeed. And so you can look at the facilities on campus, uh, even going back, you know, several years. I mean, U of H has had some pretty decent facilities relative to its standing in FBS. So, I mean, I think that they can make some real hay. Like, maybe they could be that premier school in the reconstituted Big 12. I don't know. But um, there's a reason that the University of Texas is never, like, really interested in playing University of Houston or elevating them into their league because they know that in some ways it's a sleeping giant. Like, maybe, you know, maybe that time that it could be, you know, one of the national powers, you know, consistently is over. But it still can do some real damage when it's operating at full speed. And um, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm just really proud of them. Like I grew up a Cougars fan, you know, I rooted for Andre Dwyer and Chuck Witherspoon, Witherspoon and all those, you know, Manny Hazard and all those guys. And so um, they've come a long way, man. And I'm, I'm glad to see that they, you know, they're kind of getting a shot back at big time football. Every time they score a touchdown, I'm still expecting that siren to go off. I, I have dreams. Oh man. I have dreams yeah, of that siren. That thing was loud. <laughs> Did you go to the games at the Dome, or did you? Or, or oh yeah, you yeah. I mean, my parents could drop me off there, and you know, give me twenty bucks, and I could spend five hours of my weekend. It was great. Oh man, so I'm the only. I might be one of the few people in the world that thought it was appropriate for them to beat SMU ninety five or twenty one. I was like, hey man, they should have went for a hundred. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're one of my favorite Twitter followers. I, I think you have, you know, not only is it informative, but it's hilarious. You know, I, I know that you like to kind of mess with Texas a little bit with the Texas Longhorns. <laughs> Does Arch Manning becoming the face of Texas make them even more unlikable to kind of the neutral fan? Like how much, how much does that kind of just fit perfectly Mike, with the brand of, of UT? No, Mike, let's go ahead. Like, seriously. Like this is, I, I actually am excited for the potential hilarity here. Uh, I, I mean, look, man, I don't, I know that there are high school recruiting experts out there, and far be it for me to argue with them. But one thing that I know about Arch Manning is that he went seven and three last year in a weak division in, in Louisiana. And if this is the dude that's supposed to be the next savior for University of Texas football, amazing! I can't wait. I can't wait to see them. You know, take pictures after games, giving that giving that stupid horn signal, uh, while you know standing at attention for you know the eyes of Texas or whatever. Great, keep it up. I'm I look. I don't I don't think they're going to be unlikable at all. I think they're going to be a lot of fun um, because I just it just <laughs> I just love to see Longhorn fans get their hopes up, man. You know what I mean? Like I mean, it's one of my favorite things in college football that they still they still think Vince Young is just right around the corner, man. That they they're going to recapture those years, or you know maybe the R.I.P. Steve Wooster years. You know what I'm saying? That, that it's, it's Texas is right going to be right there again. But uh, I, I actually think this is this is going to set up for some hilarity. And man, if, if Steve Sarkeesian is around for it, even better. <laughs> yeah, we we put out these like Texas 12 rankings where we kind of rank you know the position groups. And if we don't put Texas in the top two or three. We just get oh. murdered online, and it's like, guys, y'all went five and seven. Like, where does this? I if I could have the type of bravado of a, of an average Texas fan, I would have so much more confidence in my life. Oh my god, Mike! I just, I see this. And this is the thing. Like, I can't wait for them to go to the SEC. Like, I, I like, I'm, I'm like, go ahead, man. I please take your asses on over there. I'm looking forward to seeing you all become Kentucky. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or Tennessee. You, the, the two UTs can fight it out for who can go seven and five, or eight and four every year. So good for them, man. I'm just, I, you know, I think Texas fans get the program they deserve. You know, before we let you get out of here, you know, Texas A&M's building a lot of momentum. They signed, you know, what can, some consider the best recruiting class in the country. 
last year. You look at the preseason polls, and you know they're all in the top ten. You know they're a different program perception wise than they were a decade ago. Does that change when Texas gets back into the same conference with them? Like, are they allowed to exist? <laughs> on their own or, or when Texas gets there, does that kind of eliminate some of that kind of luster, I suppose? I mean, I definitely think it takes away the conversation piece, right? That every time A&M went into a recruit's home, they could say, well, hey, man, we play big boy football every every Saturday. You know, like we'll go to Georgia. Um, you know, we're in the same division with uh, Alabama and LSU. You know, we can, you know, this is a league that the NFL scouts are there and you're playing against future NFL players. And I mean, do you want to do that or do you want to spend your weekends playing against Kansas State or Kansas, right? And I mean, we, we, we've seen sort of what that would recruits, how receptive they've been to that message. Um, so I, obviously, it's, I don't think it's great that Texas is there. Um, but I mean, I, here's what I would say about AM. They finished second in the SEC West twice under Jimbo Fisher. And I think if Aggies fans heard that in the vacuum, they'd probably say, that's reasonable. You know, we're in the same division with Alabama and LSU. Like, that's just how it has to be. So I think that A&M is probably going to be okay. Like, I don't I don't think that Texas has to take anything away from them. And I think that there are enough high-level recruits, not only in Texas, but regionally, that they both can, you know, make hay and, and be competitive. So, I, you know, I, I'm sure A&M didn't want Texas in there. Obviously, they didn't. I mean, we started, I think people did the four-year. And saw the AM actually absolutely didn't want Texas in there, but I don't think it has to slow down whatever's going on now because I mean, as it is, their head coach is Jimbo Fisher and AM has the resources it has. And University of Texas has Steve Sarkeesian and, and they've been doing what they've been doing for the past decade. So until that changes and uh, I think I think AM's all right. I, I think I agree with you mostly, but Texas A and M fans and reasonable is a tough sell. I mean, that's a fair point. That's what, it's, it's so funny. I never, you know, uh, I grew up in Houston and A&M's right up the street. And I never really had no beef. I, you know, the, growing up, I heard the Aggie jokes and all that good stuff. I was like, man, I thought, you know, A&M was not bad when I was growing up, man. You know, they had Greg Hill and Darren Lewis and, the, and Quentin Coriat. They were kind of a cool program. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want them to jump on me. I, I My uncle went there in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. So A&M fans, you fine with me. <laughs> all right sir hey i really appreciate your time i know it's early out there in california and you clearly didn't oh, get man. a lot of sleep last night so uh we appreciate it maybe maybe try to fit in a nap at some point today uh, i'm gonna do my best man thanks for having me on man it was a lot of fun thanks again to joel anderson from slate.com you can follow him at by joel anderson on twitter again that is by by joel anderson on twitter all right, I said we'd have kind of a predictions uh, segment to end the show. Let's get to it. Let's put some names to predictions. Let's hold our feet to the fire a little bit. Let's put our reputations on the line as college football experts. So we're going to go by and we're going to go through. We're going to do this next week. I believe we're going to do this next week for defense as well, right? Yep. That's the plan. Okay, so we're going to start with offense this week. We're going to name players. We're going to predict each of us who we think is going to have the most passing, rushing, and receiving yards at the end of this season. Let's start with passing yards, all right? Now, this isn't a draft. This isn't a, you know, whatever. We Again, we all wanted to pick different ones to have a discussion, so, like, that's kind of the only caveat to this. I went with Clayton Toon of Houston. Yeah. The reason why is you lose Alton McCaskill for the year. I do like Tejon Henry at running back, but I do think that they're in a position to where now 
they know they have a quarterback who they can trust and they have a receiver who they know they need to get the ball to at all costs. So my pick to have finished with the most passing yards in the state in 2022, Houston's Clayton Toon. I like the pick. Uh, I feel like six-year quarterbacks under Dana Holgerson set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Like every time he's mm-hmm. had, you know, like a 23-year-old running his quarterback room, they've put up huge numbers. And not only is Nathaniel Dell back, but they've added some wide receivers around him yeah. through the transfer portal. And even in recruiting with Matthew Golden, that should make that uh, better right away. Like the second leading receiver for Houston last year, if you take away the tight end, had 17 catches, mm. right? Like there's there's going to be more options for Clayton Toon. I think he has a, that he has a huge year. Uh, I'll go second. I took Tanner Mordecai. He had 3,600 uh, passing yards last year, which I, I believe was most in the state. It was 12th in the nation, third all time at, at SMU. I believe he's going to throw for even more yards. I know his wide receiver core doesn't have Danny Gray and a couple other guys there, but the, you know they added Jake Bailey and a few other dudes through transfers. Rasheed Rice is going to be on the outside. He's going to be be a weapon. Rhett Lashley is going to run so many plays. Right, like they're going to go so quick, so fast, tempo. I believe that he's going to approach the four thousand yard mark. So for that reason, I took Tanner Mordecai. I'll go last. I picked whoever's going to start at Texas Tech between <laughs> Tyler Shuck, Donovan Smith, or Baron Morton. Um, as of right now, we don't know who's going to start. I think between us, we're going to go with Tyler Shuck, but McGuire has not put out anything yet. Uh, I went with him because uh, mainly because they've got a new offensive coordinator in Zach Kitley. Uh, if you guys remember, he was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Western Kentucky last year. Um, he got to coach the incredible Bailey Zappi, who's also the winner of our Earl, Earl Campbell Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude put up uh, s- almost 6,000 passing yards last season. So I think anybody under Zach Kitley, whoever's going to start at that Texas Tech position, is going to put up the most passing yards. Yeah, that's a good pick because I think even if he doesn't approach, obviously he won't approach that those numbers, but like – you're still probably taught. You're gonna know. put up a lot of numbers. I was about to say you can still no. post four thousand and right. the state. That would be a thirty-three percent right. drop in, in production <laughs> to still imagine? to still okay. throw four thousand. You know, yards. I'm gonna remember this, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out that stat next season. Go and for we're it. just uh, just, like just to, to yeah. be funny. I, I think that's a great pick. I think their wide receiver room is a little underrated. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're pretty good there, and. Even though, like Ish said, they're not going to throw the ball as much as he did at Western Kentucky. They're going to yeah. throw the ball a lot. Yeah, So sure. there's going to be some numbers put up at system. Texas Tech. The only thing that concerns me there is the injury last year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, So do we see multiple quarterbacks for Texas Tech, which right. would eliminate some numbers? And also, that schedule is so hard. Like yeah. They have maybe the hardest schedule in the state. Yeah. I think the thing that, he- that I'm hesitant on with Tanner Mordecai is – SMU ran the ball a little bit, a lot more with Red Lashley at offensive coordinator, and I'm wondering now that they've added a lot more depth, right? You added Kamar Weed, you added Ulysses Bentley. What do, you know, Trey Siggers? I forgot about him too. Um, mm-hmm. What does that back? What does that play calling look like now, right? Is there more balance, or was it la- or does Red Lashley know that he has? a great quarterback and he lets him loose or is it more like oh, we can take some off his plate actually right. we can probably I don't know that was my that was my only hesitation um my argument back to that would yeah. be Rhett Lashley's offense is more vertical based so he may sure. throw fewer times but sure. have about the same amount of yards because it's not going to be as short intermediate fair uh as Sonny Dykes's offense mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair all right let's move on to running backs this one had to get a little creative because I, I definitely was last to pick in this one. So. <laughs> but I don't want to yeah, go with – I don't know. I had to think about this a little bit more, but I think I am perfectly fine with my pick. I went with 
TCU's Kendra Miller. Now, I'll you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because there's obvious names that right you know, before so I'm right. gonna let you guys go and then yeah. I will yeah. justify my pick. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I think the other guys got to be off the board for that to make yes. to make more exactly. sense. I I had the first pick because I came up with the game. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you stole all of our picks. You're like, and, ah, I know. So I took uh, a guy in Austin that drives a Ferrari by yep. the name of Bajan Robinson. Yep. It rhymes with Dijon. <laughs> uh, he is incredible. He's the best running back in the state in a long time. Uh, he's awesome. If he's healthy, he'll run for 1,500 yards. I'd imagine even with Quinn Ewers at quarterback and an improved wide receiver core, we get a lot of Bajon Robinson. Yeah. Like he's going to run the ball a lot because if you're Steve Sarkeesian, this is your last year to have him. Right. Right. He's going to be in the NFL next year, whether he plays one snap or all the snaps. Right. So you might as well put him out there, let him play when he was the court, when he was the OC at Alabama. It's not like they didn't run the ball, you know, a whole heck of a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, Bajon Robinson's going to get plenty of touches. He's the best player on that team. And if they want to get to eight, nine, 10 wins, he's going to have to be a superstar. So give me Bajon Robinson. I went with Texas A&M running back Devon A-Chain. He's picked in our preseason All-State first team. Mm -hmm. And he led the SEC in yards per attempt with, I think, seven yards, seven and a half yards, which is a crazy number. Yeah, seven yards in attempt is insane. So that that stat, I think, pretty much speaks for itself. And also, he's going to be behind a pretty good offensive line that can block for him. Pretty good offensive line. Isaiah Spiller's gone. Yes. You know, so like yeah, H-A- he, he H-A's like, the dude now. Yeah, he fell behind Spiller all the time. Right. So he was so he, he's, he's gonna get plenty of touches this year. Uh it'll be interesting to see what his output becomes with more touches. Yes. Yeah. You know, yes. like does the, you know, obviously you would expect that seven to go down, but does it plummet, right? Does right. He, does he stay at a reasonable five? Yeah, yeah, if he stays like game, five to six, carry? you know, yeah. the, then okay. You know, but if he gets down to three point eight, four point two, you know, or if he gets injured, if mm-hmm. it's too much yeah. for him, you know, because he's not the biggest guy in the world. Sure. Uh but with the ball in his hands, he may be the most electric running back in the state, right? Like he can do some things Bajan can't in terms of just straight line speed. Like he's right. a legit college track and field sprinter, you know, one of the top ten sixty meter sprinter guys in indoor in the nation. So an electric superstar at A&M. All right, so now my pick makes more sense. Kendra <laughs> Miller from TCU. The reason why I went with him is because, one, you take a big old Zach Evans out of the backfield, right? He still averaged, you know, obviously because of the game plan for a lot of teams against TCU, you have Quentin Johnson they have to watch, account for as well. You're going to forget about a guy named Kendra Miller, as teams did last year, averaged seven and a half yards a carry, only had about 25 less yards than Zach Evans. Again, Zach Evans had about 10 more carries, but he was almost as productive. Obviously, the top end is what you have Zach Evans for and what made him, other than Bajan Robinson, the best running back in the state last year. But you have a very reliable upperclassman running back now with a coach that knows if he has a playmaker, he's going to get on the ball at all costs, mm-hmm. right? Sonny Dykes knows how to get that working. I think, obviously, he's probably not the most athletic or athletically gifted player on that offense, right? I think that would go outside to, to Quentin Johnston. But if you are uncertain about maybe Max Duggan's consistency, you're going to try to give the ball to the guy that you know can get the ball in very low-risk situations, and that's going to be the bell cow your offense. That's going to be the guy. I would not be shocked to see him cross the 1,000-yard mark because I don't know if the depth is there overall. I think, obviously, you'll play two, three running backs, as anybody does in, in now. You know, Bijan Robinson has Roshan Johnson spelling carries for him. But I would not be shocked to see him cross that 1,000-yard mark this year because he's the guy He's the guy that people know about. He's the guy that, if you're Sonny Dykes, you've seen him in camp, be like, 
Yeah, we can make that work. Yeah. We can make sure that no matter what, Max Duggan's have an off day. Max Duggan's injured. Or Chandler Morris. Or Chandler Morris. Yeah. Or Chandler Morris. You know, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> TCU fans, don't get mad at me. Um, but regardless, whoever's that quarterback, right, injury, whatever, inconsistency, whatever, you know you're going to have somebody in the backfield that's been there for multiple years, worked under multiple offensive coordinators. You know what you got. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, I'm gonna, that's why I took Kendra Miller. Other names that I do want to watch out for. I mentioned Tajon Henry. Because I think he was very productive last year for Houston. And now you have Noel McCaskill. I'm curious. Does does what you mentioned, does Holgerson let it rip with Clayton Toon? Or does he want to keep that balance and trust somebody like a Tejon Henry to maybe take some of those, uh, take the pressure off him? Maybe. I don't know. Another one, Deion Haskin, Hankins. Yep. From UTEP. He was hurt last year. He was supposed to be their guy heading into last year. As a true freshman, he was very solid, very reliable. I'm curious to see what he looks like healthy. If he's healthy, I'm not saying he'll burst onto the scene with 1,200 yards rushing, but there's a reason why he was supposed to be ahead of Ronald Awad last year. Ronald Awad was a very good running back for them last year. He's probably going to start over Awad healthy. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued what he has. I think the tandem aspect of, of those two yeah. probably keeps them at like seven, 800 sure. yards each. Also, or same uh, with Tech, uh, with, yeah, with Taj say, Brooks, yes, and Sir Roger, Roger Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the same thing. I think Alton McCaskill would have been the number three guy had sure. he had he been healthy. My sneaky pick here is Kamar Wheaton. Ooh, oh, at SMU yeah. I you were because because we, we've talked. Well, Traylon Smith. That's actually a good one as well. Mm-hmm. I I I did not have my UTSA colored glasses on there, but that <laughs> is a good one as well behind that offensive line. But Kamar Wheaton is as physically talented as maybe anybody but Bajon Robinson, right? Sure. I mean, he's a former five star guy. He went to Alabama. Alabama. It's not like Nick Saban recruits running backs that don't know how to play running back, right? <laughs> right. So you know, you mentioned how much Rhett Lashley does like to run the football, as much as he kind of has the sure. reputation of an up tempo, you know, pass it around former quarterback guy. He's going to run the football. So if Kamar Wheaton's what we all think he is and kind of what people at camp have been saying he already is, mm. he's a guy that over the last eight, nine games of the season, once he gets his like feet ready and kind of his stamina back, like he's a dude that could really chop up American athletic conference defenses. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty safe. All right, let's get to receiving yards. And Craven, let's go. Yeah, Nathaniel Dell. Slot receiver, Houston. He had a thousand more yards than any other player on Houston's team. Like some of the stuff doesn't even seem right, right? Like yeah. he caught thirteen hundred and twenty nine yards last year. Uh, I I think that number goes down because defenses are going to double team him even if he's in the slot and he has a better supporting cast around him to spread the ball around. Yep. Still, he's going to put up a thousand plus yards at wide receiver, and it's hard to count on somebody doing that if he stays healthy. You know, Dana Holgerson said Tavon Austin is the only player that he's ever had you know at slot receiver that's better or yes. as good as Nathaniel Dell that's, that's high praise I was about to say, that is right like that praise. that's that's high praise and so he's going to be you know with a six-year quarterback you know with starting experience back there like Nathaniel Dell is going to be an all-american I picked probably one of the top five receivers in college football in Xavier Worthy uh he was a freshman last year and almost put up a thousand yards. I think it was 951 to be exact. So no telling what he's going to do for his sophomore year. And I think we talked about it a little bit earlier with all the injuries in the wide receiver room, but I think too, that they'll get him the ball a Mm -hmm. lot more as well, uh, just because he's not going to have that kind of backup. Um, So that's why I think that he will do, he'll put up probably more numbers than he did last year, but also like you mentioned earlier, he's going to get double teamed a lot. So that could, you know, take that, 
take a couple of those yards away. Sure. And he's going to have Quinn Ewers throwing on the ball and not Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. Probably. I was going to say and that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty big plus. Yeah, right, right, for yeah, sure. That's going to be pretty big. All right, I did put on my G5 glasses for this one because um, there were some other there were some names that I thought about, but it's Sakari Franklin for me, man. Like, mm-hmm. I think UTSA's wide receiver room is one of the most underrated in the country. I think, obviously, you have guys like Josh Cephas and DeCorian Clark that will take passes away from him, but I think the fact that those guys' physicality doesn't allow teams to focus on Zakari Franklin – you can't double Zakari Franklin because he's the smallest of that bunch. <laughs> because because that leaves six three Josh Cephas one on one. That leaves six two Decorian mm-hmm. Clark two hundred pound Decorian Clark one on one. Zakari Franklin is not he's, he's not going to get doubled. <laughs> and so I think he's going to have absolutely the numbers that I think will go down for Zakari Franklin are his touchdowns. I think his touchdowns will go down a little bit because he'll, they'll be targeting I think those other guys in the red zone a little bit more. But I think every other down, he's going to still be the guy, and I don't think defenses and secondaries are going to be able to key in on him because they're going to be like, yeah, we'll take our chance with the 6'1", 180 guy, right? We'll, we'll take our chance one-on-one yeah. with him because we don't want to body the other. No. We don't want the other guys <laughs> to, to you know, box us out. So I'm going to go Zachary Franklin. He already had over 1,000 yards last year, uh, uh, 81, 81 receptions. You have another year, Frank Harris. You know, I don't know if there's a – quarterback wide receiver combo in the state that's better connected right now than those guys over the past couple years i think it's a Corey franklin i would not be surprised if he finishes with the top um top receiving yards in the state yeah i think that's i think that's a great pick frank harris you know without sincere there you know yep. they're going to throw the ball more will steins the the play caller now former point, yeah. quarterback at, yeah. at louisville who's who was the wide receiver coach before he got moved to this oc oc yeah yeah and so they're they're going to throw the ball plenty this year and the other reason you can't double uh zakari franklin i've never seen anybody play seven in the box against a joe a jeff trailer right. football team right because right. they're still going to run the ball without sincere mccormick yep. like they're going to figure that out four offensive linemen returning i don't think i've seen zakari franklin like covered and he still catches the ball like he's sure. he's like a really good in traffic ball catcher mm-hmm. uh so it doesn't even matter if they double team him sure. you know like he's just one of those dudes that i i think frank has so much confidence in him that it's like you know once a series you're going to throw it up to zakari yep so there, there we go. go. Oh, right. as a reminder too, we uh, we made graphics for these, so we're yes. gonna throw those up on our Twitter page at DCTFCFB. Smart to and vote for me. yeah, go vote. What'd you vote, say? Vote for me. <laughs> vote for me. Do you guys know who won the poll last time? I don't remember. Was it, it was, you? Twitter it got me. deleted. I yeah. can't remember. Shut, I deleted that tweet. Shut up. I yeah. can't remember. <laughs> um, anyway, so there you go. Mallory would win those polls if we like. It doesn't even I was matter. About, she could put. Yeah, I was about. She could put me on there. Yeah, it doesn't even. I put Austin Ani on like yeah. the quarterback spot. Exactly. You're still gonna. You're, you're still gonna win going <laughs> I'm still away. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Next week we'll be doing defense. Um, still trying. We'll be doing like tackles, tackles, sacks, interceptions. Perfect. All right. Adam, that's uh, that's that's that it's called workshopping on live air. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a preview hey, episode because we, we got a football game. Oh, that's right. Next week we got a football oh, wow. game next we week. We got a preview Man. every. North Texas F- is a one point favorite F- right F- now. The over and under is fifty five. Not oh, that I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> Not that I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, Mallory's going with me to El Paso. Hammer that Utah one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hammer that UTEP line, <laughs> and the under, uh, and the yeah. under, absolutely, yeah. and the under. Uh, no, we'll be. It's yeah, godly. It's already gonna be our first preview week. So yeah, there you go. We'll have that. It's we made it, you guys. Next year, we made it all the way. Also, like Ish mentioned earlier, we're gonna ha- we're gonna put out another episode every Sunday. It won't be live. It's just gonna be pre-recorded. 
We may do video with that one. Not sure yet. We'll Workshopping here once guys again. Will be, you guys um, will be in El Paso. Yeah, so. we'll be in El Paso, but we will put out one every Sunday as well, recapping the college football weekend. So make sure to look out for those two. Folks, we made it. Next week's preview week. We'll be back with another one of these things on the defensive side of the ball. Remember, if you're watching us right now, keep doing that. Twitch, Instagram, not Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, and on texasfootball.com slash video or slash watch. One of those URLs will work. I don't know which one yet. I'll go back and I'll check this myself to make sure I have the right link next time. <laughs> you also, also make sure you can subscribe on Apple and Spotify for the audio versions. Please remember to rate, like, all that stuff. Help us in the metrics. Please do all of that. Help us grow past TFT. That's our eventual goal. Uh, we've had 12, 11 of the 12 FBS head coaches. We haven't had 12 yet. Uh, We have not had 12. (laughs) That is the point of this bit. (laughs) We have had 11 of the 12 FBS head coaches. Soon to be 11 of 13 FBS coaches. Actually, we've had 12 technically. We, we have, have 12. Keeler. We had Keeler. Ooh, good one. So yeah. we're going to throw them there to 13. make the number seem better. Right. We've had 12 of the future 13 FBS head coaches on this program, except for one. One. One of them's not even up yet, and he's already been on the show. Jimbo Fisher, give us a call. <laughs>